our family has grown. Welcome to the world, Hannah baby. Introducing a new collection, Hannah Soft, made with Tencel. It's so breathable, with stretchy comfort for all of baby's first moments. And it's cool and gentle on their skin all year round. Entrusted Hannah quality for your most precious gift. Hannah Soft, made to last. Shop now at hannahanderson.com. This is On Boys Parenting Podcast. We are your hosts, Jennifer L.W. Fink and Janet Allison. Eating disorders. That's not something that we think about with males. Yet, 25% of eating disorders diagnosed are males. Boys are at a higher risk of dying from eating disorders. So we need to amplify and talk about this issue, which we will be doing today after this message from our sponsor. I always used to get sick the week after our high school musical. Now that I'm a nurse and a health writer, I understand why. Lack of sleep, lack of proper nutrition, and stress all interfere with the ability of our immune systems to function optimally. If you worry about your boy's nutrition and sleep and stress, consider adding Haya Health vitamins to your daily routine. These chewable vitamins contain 15 essential vitamins and minerals known to support a healthy immune system. Use our discount code on boys to get 50% off your first order. Go to HayaHealth.com and enter discount code on boys to save 50%. Males represent 25% of individuals with eating disorders. I'm guessing you didn't know that. That's not something people tell us when our boys are babies, and it is not something that most pediatricians mention at well child checks. It is not a topic of discussions in the bleachers at ball games or at school pickup or drop off. And that's despite the fact that males are actually at a higher risk of dying from an eating disorder than females. Our guest today is Una Hansen. She is a parent coach and a family mentor at Equip, an eating disorder program, and she is also a mom of two. So we asked her to join us today to talk about this important subject. Una, welcome. Hi, I'm happy to be here. Why don't we know this? Why do we not even know that boys and eating disorders is a problem? Uh, there's so many reasons. I mean, as you've talked about many times on your podcast, anything that's associated with femininity or girls and women, boys feel pressure to reject, right? And our culture tells them that's not something for you. So because, you know, I think for parents our age, we might have the image of, say, Karen Carpenter, or we've seen um, ballerinas or figure skaters who are female, who were maybe public about having an eating disorder. And so we have this notion that it's only a certain type of person who has an eating disorder. As we were preparing for this, I was thinking about where, where did I get my ideas about eating disorders from? I was a reader as a kid, you know, scholastic book fair, best time of the year. 
it seems like there was this whole genre of reading books about girls that had anorexia and bulimia. That's how I learned about it, which is kind of a weird genre now that I think about it. Right. And a lot of those early books, unfortunately, were used um, almost as like a how-to guide for a lot of kids. While it was important for people to tell their story um, about, you know, their eating disorder, unfortunately, a lot of young people, especially young women, kind yeah. of, it was almost like a diet book. Like, yeah. oh, this is how you lose a lot of weight it quickly. sort of kind of glamorized it. And if not glamorized it, at least this is a part of teenagerdom. Right. And I think so many girls and women, you know, sort of going on a diet is normalized. And so again, that's another reason it gets associated with um, femininity or womanhood. Um, and we don't think of boys as having those same concerns. And so when a boy does have those concerns, he's even less likely to speak up about it. His friends are maybe less likely to um, go talk to a coach or a teacher and say, I'm worried about my friend because it's just not on their radar. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's, we're looking at the data now and it looks like males are, um, the rates are increasing at higher levels than for females. So now it looks like it could be as many as 40% oh, of wow. people with eating disorders are male. And research from 2020 said that one in seven males will experience an eating disorder by age 40. So when you think about your son's friends, his teams, his orchestra, his theater group, um, you know, his D and D club, whatever his group of friends, you know, if there are seven boys there, there's a good chance that one of them could develop an eating disorder. Um, I'm thinking about so the fact that I have four boys. I mean, those odds are not nothing. Right. It is definitely something that I think a lot of parents, when they have a boy, they think, well, at least I don't have to worry about eating disorders. They kind of feel like I got enough to worry about. I can I cross that off my to list. Worry about eating disorders and body mm -hmm. image because that is such a it's associated with girls. It's associated with women. And those of us who grew up as girls who are women, we are so familiar with the pressure to look a certain way that we have this conscious desire if we have a daughter, we want to do better for her. We're, many of us aren't even aware that that boys also feel pressure to look certain ways. And the pressures have never been more intense. You know, if you just think about the celebrity images, and I, I don't want to blame social media for all the ills of society. Um, but well, that makes you an outlier. <laughs> um, you know, I think it's in some ways it's sort of um, maybe it aggravates certain things. Um, but I, I don't know that it's, you know, it's too easy to blame that. Um, for all the, the problems that we're having, but certainly our boys are seeing um, images of male physiques that we didn't see when we were growing up. Um, so, you know, the way that athletes are now celebrities who are endorsing products and the hyper muscular physiques of our sort of modern day Marvel and DC superhero movies. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we had, I think about obviously growing up, we had Arnold Schwarzenegger and I don't know, Fabio, right? But we also had Tom Hanks and we had um, kind of like the everyman celebrity. Um, and today, you know, we do still have sort of the Judd Apatow characters who are sort of the everyman um, type look, but we also have a lot of, you know, the rock always, always comes to mind, right? Mm. This idea of um, just this hyper muscularity in a lot of, you know, you think about like the Fast and Furious movies or 
um, things that our boys are really drawn to, or looking at avatars on video games. I mean, these do not look like human bodies. <laughs> They're no, hyper muscular. It's the right. equivalent of it's to a human body in the same way a Barbie doll is a representation of a female body. Exactly. So just as you said, a mom might um, talk to her daughter about the fact that Barbie doesn't look like a realistic human. In fact, she can't even, she wouldn't be able to walk or stand up. Um, I don't know that we always talk to our sons about, hey, that, you know, that character you're playing in that video game, you know, does that look like a real man? So I think we have to start these conversations um, with our sons because they need to know it's okay to talk about these issues. Thinking about the representation, you know, what our boys see and what is out there. You mentioned that every man look. When it is there, it's played for a joke. You know, dad bod was a line a few um, years ago, and it was definitely with the implication that you don't want that. And the everyday guys that are on the sitcoms, they're playing the bumbling idiot dads who, oh, guess what? Just happened happen to have these super hot wives, but they're not taken seriously at all. They're not presented as, um, any kind of model of masculinity that, that you'd want to live up to, except for the hot wife or girlfriend. A hundred percent. You know, it's part of our culture's larger anti-fat bias. So we have yes. so much weight stigma in our culture and, you know, we've started to make a lot of progress in terms of diversity and inclusion, um, in a lot of other areas. But when it comes to body size in media, um, you're exactly right. Almost always the larger character is, is played for laughs or is the butt of the joke. Sends the message that someone in a larger body is, as you said, maybe less masculine if it's a male. Um, and it's really dehumanizing, right? They aren't presented as full human beings. They're sort of a body first. Um, and all the jokes that come with that about, as you said, assumptions about their character, their intelligence, their status. You know, even their sort of like sense of discipline or willpower or strength. Yeah. Um, you know, there's often, you know, so many jokes on TV about, you know, the, the chubbier kid who's, you know, always wants food. You know, there's just these old tropes from, um, you know, from decades ago that we're still recycling. And I think we have these brilliant, you know, I live in Hollywood. I know a lot of brilliant TV writers and I always think, can't you do better? Right. Um, you know, like it's just, it's a cheap joke that isn't funny and it's at someone's expense. Um, and when our boys are watching, as you said, this idea that there's a body that, that tells the world that you're man enough is really dangerous. Uh, and it leads our boys to feel bad about themselves and then to start potentially engaging in really unhealthy and dangerous behaviors um, that I know you talked about, I think it was last year uh, with Lisa Lewis about boys taking um, supplements and um, making dramatic changes to their nutritional intake. And it's so normalized, you know, they see these, you know, TikTokers or, you know, athletes they look up to, or maybe even their, their youth sports coach is saying, I was going to say yeah. that a lot of times there are coaches, most I'm going to assume well-meaning they don't know what they don't know either, but when they're suggesting protein supplements or uh, creatine, or there's older kids on the team, I'm going to be honest right now at this minute, as we are recording, there is a, a tub of creatine sitting on the window ledge in my kitchen that my 18 year old is convinced is helping him heal from an injury. Eh, I don't know. On top of the fridge, there is a big tub of protein powder, which is there because my 20 year old ordered it, tried it, and it's been sitting around 
forever and nobody's gotten rid of it yet. But that's even with me being aware of some of these things. That's how great that pressure is. There's so much pressure and absolutely the protein piece, you know, kids in general are more black and white, more concrete thinkers. And they think, oh, protein muscle. It's like this simple equation, right? The, the more protein I take in, the more muscle. Um, and I like to talk to boys and say, you know, what's one of your favorite protein sources in terms of food? And they'll say like, oh, like a hamburger or a steak. And also, so where does the cow get all that muscle mass that becomes the steak? Oh, from eating grass, right? And so talking to kids about the fact that you need a lot of balance and, you know, muscle, you need carbohydrates. I'm not a dietitian, so I'm, I, I want to stay in my lane. If people want more information about that, there are lots of um, sports dietitians out there that can give you the, you know, all the research studies, but you know, the, the common sense thing is that we need a variety in our diet to have good health and, you know, building muscle isn't just about eating protein. In fact, when the keto trend started and people yeah. were cutting out carbs, you know, yes, they were losing weight, which is not always a good thing. Um, a lot of it was muscle mass because your body needs those carbohydrates and they're going to take it from your muscle. <laughs> um, so we can educate our boys and maybe even sit down with them and say, you know, this is a little bit confusing what you're hearing from the coach or from the older boys on the team. Let's look it up together. Let's go to a registered dietitian site. It's very easy for an unscrupulous person to get a, a nutrition certification online and not really do their homework. Um, but they can be very convincing uh, to a young person who says, oh, I want to look like this influencer on, you know, whatever format they're, you know, if they're yeah. on TikTok or um, or Instagram. And so, you know, I think sitting with our boys and building that kind of media literacy and critical thinking, let's learn about it together. And, you know, if, if the coach is really getting into the weeds on nutrition, I think it's worth, you know, advocating for your son Me too. and, and say, you know, Hey, can I, you know, you don't have to come in, you know, guns blazing or the write the four page email, which, um, you know, I know is tempting to do, <laughs> um, but, you know, just to go to them and say, you know, I'd, I'd love to hear what the, what the boys are hearing um, about nutrition and, and just see where the conversation goes. That's always a useful conversation, too, because oftentimes with our kids and it's not just in terms of nutrition and coaching, there can be a pretty big disconnect between what the coach actually said and what the children heard and then how they talk and where it goes from there. So it's always good to go back to the source and at least try and clear up that part of it before you do anything else. Absolutely. Yeah. Give, give every coach, every teacher, the benefit of the doubt, just as you would hope they would uh, give you the benefit of the doubt when your son says, Oh, my mom said this or uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Let's back up a little bit. Uh, you know, we talked about the pressure that our boys feel to look in certain ways. And you referenced, you know, sometimes then they uh, adopt some unhealthy habits in an attempt to get their bodies to look the way they want it to, or to feel better about themselves. Let's talk about what that might look like for boys. What are eating disorders in boys? What kinds of behaviors might you see? Boys develop all of the same eating disorders as girls. So um, anorexia, bulimia, binge eating disorder, ARFID, uh, which I think you may have talked about with some earlier guests, avoidant restrictive food intake disorder. Got it. Um, um, but boys also 
what's sort of unique about boys is they can also be vulnerable to something that is not yet an official diagnosis. Um, but it's referred to things like uh, bigorexia or the Adonis complex where they become uh, hyper-focused on just getting as big and as muscular as possible. Um, and so much, I mean, as we know, so much of muscularity is genetic yeah. and it's developmental. You know, the 13 year old boy is just not going to be as muscular as an adult man that they're looking up to. A 13 year old boy is not going to look like rock, period. 13 year old right. rock didn't look like rock looks right now. Exactly. Exactly. And so, you know, all of the eating disorders stem from restriction in one way or another. So if your son is starting to turn away foods he used to love, mm. if he is obsessively reading food labels, um, you know, it's unfortunate a lot of our elementary school boys and girls, you know, our elementary school kids are often taught as like a, an assignment in school to study food labels and report back. And, um, you know, this can go in a really dangerous direction for some kids because it can become obsessive. Yeah. And we don't want our kids thinking about food in terms of numbers. Obviously, if you have a child with a diagnosed medical condition, diabetes, celiac, something like that, of course, they need to be very aware of allergies. Allergies. Yes. Right. Those kids absolutely need to learn to look at the labels on everything. Right. And for them, it's, it's information, it's self-care. It's not about trying to control their body or change their body. Mm. Those kids are just taking care of their body. But if your son is trying to manipulate his size, his weight, his muscle mass through food, I would get really curious and pay close attention. And we don't want to come in with kind of that shame, um, accusation kind of tone. I think a calm, compassionate, curious approach is always the best way to go, especially with boys. Yeah. Um, and just say, like, I'm noticing some changes. Um, tell me what you're, you know, what's going on. Um, and maybe while, it, while you're walking the dog or you're in the car, uh, not, yeah, not the face-to-face -face confrontation. So yeah, so looking for signs of restriction. Um, this could also look like finding wrappers in your son's room or in a backpack or in pockets where is he, is he eating things in secret? Um, so that would suggest there's probably restriction or shame around eating earlier in the day. Um, and then there can be secret eating happening. Um, so that restriction is what's driving that kind of secrecy or shame kind of eating. Obviously, occasional wrapper in a pocket, I mean, that's probably an ordinary thing for a lot of families. But if you suddenly see something different, um, that's something to pay attention to. This episode is sponsored by By Heart. Babies need to eat. And whether you breastfeed or bottle feed, use formula, combine all of the above, you need options. We wanted to let you know about By Heart Baby Formula. Byheart has a patented protein blend that gets the closest to breast milk. It includes two of the most abundant proteins in breast milk. And Byheart actually ran a clinical trial comparing their formula to a leading infant formula and proved that babies on Byheart have softer poops, less spit up, and easier digestion. Byheart is also the only U.S.-made infant formula to use organic grass-fed whole milk. So if you need baby formula for your baby, consider Byheart. New customers can get 10% off your first order by using code 
onboys at byheart.com. That's B-Y-H-E-A-R-T dot com slash podcast. And it is 10% off your first order. Byheart.com slash podcast. This is a limited time offer and additional terms and conditions may apply. One of the most challenging things about being a woman at midlife is realizing how little people understand about perimenopause and menopause, Janet. I just had a conversation with my sister about that this weekend. She is 10 years younger than me, so I'm 51, she's 41, and she went to ask her healthcare provider, hey, can you provide me some information? And she got information, but she was frustrated by how incomplete it seems, how little we know, and how for way too many people, the answer seems to be, yep, that's the way it is. Deal with it. Mm-hmm. Deal with it. And not only are our mamas out there having to deal with perimenopause, likely at this age, but many of our moms are dealing with their sons entering or in puberty, which is kind of nature's irony, which is, oof. Cruel joke, Janet. Cruel joke. Cruel joke. Thankfully, thankfully, increasingly, there are those who are recognizing that women need and deserve competent care and treatment for perimenopause and menopausal symptoms. And we know that can still be harder to access than it should be, which is why we have partnered with Winona. Winona helps women who are dealing with menopause or perimenopause. Winona is a collection of OBGYN health professionals who believe that your symptoms are important, real, and deserve to be taken seriously. Telehealth, you can access care from your home when it is convenient for you. Visit buywinona.com today to start your free visit with free U.S. shipping and the ability to pause or cancel at any time. Your path to wellness has zero obligations. Use the code ONBOYS at buywinona.com for 25% off your first order. That's B-Y-W-I-N-O-N-A dot com slash on boys. Winona, menopause care made easy. I was going to, I'm glad you mentioned that because right now I know for a fact that there are wrappers and empty cans and things all over my one son's bedroom, but that's frankly because he's messy and it hasn't been his top priority and he hasn't cleaned his room lately. It's normal for him. (laughs) And because you know, what's normal for your kid. And if you've seen him eating those foods, Mm -hmm. you know, with you. Oh, yes. um, Yes. Right. So it's not right. Um, I want to dig into that secrecy part a little bit because one thing that I have seen happen and I've heard other parents ask about, and this is where we get into as adults, we haven't figured out our stuff and then that affects what we do with our children. I have heard numerous parents who have concern for their children's health and well-being Oftentimes, the parents are very concerned around um, the puberty, early puberty for boys, when their appetite just, you know, through the roof, 
I just fed you. You want to eat some more? Like, I can't keep feeding you all of this. I have heard of, of parents restricting food in like putting locks on cupboards and on fridges and saying you can only have so much and then being upset because my son is um, disobeying me and he is being rebellious and he is sneaking food to which I really want to say, well, just let him eat if he's hungry. Let's talk about this. Let's talk about how can we as parents support our boys healthy development and not put them in a place where they feel like they have to lie or be secretive. I'm so glad you asked that because especially at the beginning of the pandemic, I think a lot of parents were posting photos of, um, you know, how the refrigerator was off. They put a sign saying refrigerator off limits, or um, there was a picture that went viral where a parent was requiring like jumping jacks to earn snack foods and things like that. And you know, all my alarm bells go off when I see that. These are well-meaning parents. Um, they're not trying to do harm. They just don't have the information. So the first thing I'll say is that, you know, we talked about kind of fat phobia and weight stigma a little bit earlier. And so a lot of parents' decisions are being shaped by that. You know, we've been told to be afraid of the so-called uh, childhood obesity epidemic. Um, we've been told that, you know, any weight gain is problematic. But remember in puberty, Weight gain is not only normal, it's necessary. And it's a lot of weight gain really fast, which again, because we've been trained to be afraid of weight gain, parents get understandably nervous. And the pediatrician, again, well-meaning, might even say, oh, buddy, slow down there, or you know, make a comment um, when that appetite level and that growth level is totally normal. And I think we need to point out that it is common for boys and girls it doesn't all happen at the same time. So often in puberty, you may gain weight before you stretch out. You might stretch out before you gain weight. It can go all these different ways. So it is, the body is very much a construction site during puberty. It's not like a finished, neat, clean building using that analogy. Like it's, it's messy. It looks different every day. Exactly. And you know, that growth curve some kids are on a very smooth curve. Some kids do more of what people call that stair step, right? Mm -hmm, Where the mm -hmm. weight goes up before the height goes up. Kids should always be adding weight, even into their 20s. And obviously, as we age, we continue to, to gain weight. Um, so there's a really rapid weight gain around puberty, but it's not as if they're supposed to stop gaining weight once they go through puberty. They keep gaining weight. And so it's really important that even if your son does you know, grow taller, he might look leaner, but he shouldn't be losing weight. So that's something that I think, you know, parents also should be aware of. He might look thinner, but the total weight should still be going up according, you know, roughly on his growth curve. Yeah, good. Um, and unfortunately, when, when kids start out in larger bodies, um, they often get praised for losing weight. And um, I'm here to say kids should not be losing weight. That's a sign to be concerned and to investigate what's going on. Now it could be medication, you know, ADHD medication, for instance, is very common in terms of um, ap appetite suppression. Mm. And so that's something to be aware of. If your son has prescribed a stimulant medication for a condition, you might have to really help him eat sort of mechanically, meaning on a schedule, he may not have his hunger cues. A lot of families are told, you know, you can take your son off the medication at certain times. And then it might look like binge behavior because they're suddenly trying to catch up for all that lost time. 
And we don't want to demonize that. I mean, that is, that's a survival, um, you know, gene kicking in, right? Where the body says, wait a minute, we aren't getting enough energy. We need to make up for this, you know, week or two weeks of, of not eating enough. Interesting. So, yeah. So it's definitely something to, you know, talk to the doctor about. Um, and you might think, oh, my son's 15. He should know like to eat his lunch, but if he's on certain medications, it could really disrupt his hunger cues. So, and you know, yeah. our kids are influenced by all of the things that we are. Many of us as adults don't really know what our hunger cues are because we eat because somebody told us it's time to eat. We don't eat because somebody said, or we've got this message that feels like we shouldn't because then we'll be fat and then nobody will love us. Many of us are not in touch with our hunger cues. So our children are exposed to all those same things. And, and I feel the need to say this, there are a lot of kids that I'm not sure have gotten the opportunity to recognize their own hunger cues. If the parents have been in control of this is the food, this is when you will eat, you will clean your plate, there is no more, how is that kid ever going to know? Right. So the clean plate club and the locked refrigerator, both of those are interrupting a child's intuitive relationship with food okay. and their body. And, you know, as with many things in parenting, kids are likely to do the opposite of whatever we're pressuring <laughs> them to do. So if you have a kid with a hearty appetite all the time, or maybe during the puberty years, and you try to restrict their food, that's when you're going to have potentially binge behavior, secretive eating, they're going to have even more drive toward food. So restricting a child with a hearty appetite is likely to lead them to eat more. And if you have a more selective eater, uh, maybe who's on the thinner side, and you're always trying to help them get a little more nutrition and pressuring them to eat is likely to make them resist even more and feel less safe to try new things. Um, obviously I'm talking about the normal, you know, range of, of eating behaviors, not an eating disorder. And those, because in, in an eating disorder, parents and, and professionals do have to sometimes step in and kind of make decisions for the child, but you know, otherwise healthy eater, um, it's best to let them listen to their body. One of the, the best ways to go about this is something called the division of responsibility, uh, which is a feeding model you may have heard of developed by Ellen Satter. And it sets up this interesting, you know, and really helpful dynamic where parents have a job and kids have a job. And the parent job is what food is served, when it's served and where it's served. And kids decide what they eat and how much. Now, this can be really scary in a culture where we're told we have to teach kids how to eat, um, you know, a certain kind of diet, right? And, you know, we know the way kids learn best, right, is through their own discovery, right? Yeah. Lecturing yeah. and telling someone what to do um, is often not really the best way to give that person that knowledge where they, they feel it deep in their bones and it's part <laughs> of them, right? Every parent listening, if you think about it, you know this fact. It did not work when you were in school. It doesn't work. If you sit there and you just explain to your kid what he should do or what you want him to think, it's never worked in the history of your relationship. Right. I mean, we often sound like the adults in the Peanuts cartoon uh -huh. movies, right? Where at wah, a certain wah, point, wah, the lecturer. <laughs> exactly. So the nice thing about the division of responsibility is that kids get to discover and try things and you tap into that natural curiosity, 
they get to feel their hunger, um, they get to experience their fullness. And if they eat past fullness, they get to learn that too. Like, oh, Halloween candy, I had access to my whole, you know, pillowcase of candy, I ate it all and I feel sick to my stomach. That's, that's an important mistake for them to make, right? If we're always there gatekeeping and saying, no, you're seven, you can only have seven yeah. pieces of candy. They're always looking to outside rules about how to eat and they should be listening to their body. Again, barring any kind of medical issue where parents would have to say, you know, remember you're on your medication. It's, it's maybe hard for you to know how to eat. We're going to make sure you eat, you know, five times a day. So there can be a place for mechanical eating, so-called mechanical eating. Um, so I don't want to make any parent feel like, oh, I have to, you know, trust my kid a hundred percent of the time we can provide structure around eating that really supports and supports an intuitive relationship with food. I want to ask a question about that because, um, it gets a little more complicated in real life than it is when you say it, when you say it, it sounds so incredibly simple. Yes. I, you know, I'm the, the adult. I go to the grocery store. I buy the food. I prepare it. This is what we have in the house. Those things you decide how much you're eating. Great. When they get a little bit older and a little bit more independent, it gets kind of tricky. So my kids are teenagers. Now I live in a small enough town that even before they're teenagers, they have a bike and this fast food places within biking distance in the corner store. And, you know, well, I can do that, but they're just going to go get all this crap. So I should just do, I should control it again. Talk about how you handle that division of responsibility when your kid kind of has the whole world open. Well, that's wonderful. I wish more kids had that kind of freedom um, because I think our kids are supervised and structured in a way yeah. that isn't always... Um, supportive of their developing independence and, and that. So I think that sounds wonderful. Um, certainly as our kids older, they get older, they have more say and more freedom and they might go out to eat with friends and they might decide I'm going to use my allowance to order Postmates and get my favorite takeout tonight. Um, and if that's okay with your family, that's, you know, that's fine. I think it's really important that we don't demonize certain foods or elevate certain foods. Again, it's that kind of forbidden fruit mentality. If, mm -hmm. we, if we call something junk or a treat or um, an indulgence or you know, any of these words that we might use, it often makes those foods all the more desirable, mm -hmm. right? They're kind of more exciting. Now, for a kid who's maybe more on the um, restrictive mindset or the black and white thinking, they might become so fearful of those foods that they start restricting all kinds of foods. Yeah. So it, it basically can go in one of two unhealthy directions, right? Either kind of an obsession um, or the intense cravings for the forbidden foods or the forbidden foods become so scary that, you know, your son can be at a birthday party or the celebration at the end of the soccer game. And they, they think, well, no, pizza is bad. I can't have that. And they can't participate in that social gathering. And that's not healthy either. So I think, you know, it's a good conversation to have in your family about here's when we're having dinner, you know, the kids know what's happening. And if they're leaving the table to go bike to, you know, they get their own food. I mean, that's a bigger conversation, but I think having that freedom of saying, Hey, I'm going to go get a snack with my friends. I mean, I think that's wonderful. And that's, it is, it is showing their independence. Yeah. 
It's interesting you say that. We've had the um, recently, my, it's my 20 year old. He's has a job on the weekends and it, he's very independent, but it's gotten to where he'll call home before he comes home and he'd be like, hey, is there a plan for dinner tonight? Because what he's really checking is, should I stop and get something on the way home? And he's very willing to do that. Or is there something at home that frankly is free and I can enjoy with the family? Right. And that sounds totally age appropriate. Yes. To me. Yes. Uh, and again, especially, you know, because of the pandemic, when a lot of our, you know, college age or young adult children have lost a lot of their freedom and independence, sometimes, you know, ordering the takeout is, it's like the, capturing or recapturing this little piece of independence that they would have had if they were in their college dorm or in their first apartment. Absolutely. We have so much that we could talk about yet. And I know we don't have forever. So I'm going to ask you, so I'm paying attention to my kid. I know what's normal for him. Uh, I'm seeing some of these changes, behaviors that I'm concerned about. He is being very careful with his food and what he's eating. He's paying a lot of attention to, you know, what his weight is. I'm concerned. I had my curious conversation with him. Is there something else I should be doing? You can't go wrong with a stop at the pediatrician's office. So I would call your son's doctor and say here, you know, you can give some kind of pregame with the doctor if you need to in private by email or however you communicate with your child's doctor and say, here are my concerns. And, and I would be upfront and matter of fact with your son as well and say, Hey, you know, buddy, I'm, I, you know, my, my mom's spidey sense is tingling. This doesn't feel right to me. Let's go get it checked out. And, you know, his reaction will tell you a lot. If he's very defensive and angry, that's probably all the more like evidence that you're on the right track here, mm-hmm. getting some help. Mm-hmm. So the first stop would be the pediatrician. Uh, you want to see where that weight is right on the, the growth chart. Now I will say that um, labs and, and vitals and things like that can look totally normal, even when a kid is actually very sick with an eating disorder. So a clean bill of health from the pediatrician, if you feel in your, your gut as a parent, something isn't right. I would then go to the next level, which is talking to an eating disorder specialist. So and that I, could wanna, be- I wanna pause here for a moment because I think it's fair to point out that there are a lot of pediatricians, family doctors, they did not really learn about this in school either. Think about all the millions of things they have to learn, eating disorders, tiny little slice of it. And likely when they went to school, the predominant picture was also girls with eating disorders. In even healthcare providers mind, the picture is a skinny white girl. That's a person who might have an eating disorder. Right. And an eating disorder can occur in any body size, any gender, any socioeconomic background, any racial background. So you're exactly right. Our pediatricians, they live in this culture too, and their training didn't tell them to take this wider view of what an eating disorder might look like. And that's really, an eating disorder doesn't have a look is kind of the main point I wanna make. It's really about behaviors and thought patterns. And so an eating disorder professional, that could look like a dietitian who has an eating disorder certification. That could be a psychologist, a therapist. A lot of professionals will, you know, if you look up through your insurance, a lot of professionals will check the box for eating disorders as a specialty. Um, it's worth it to drill down a little bit and ask them more about their experience. In some cases, it's they knew someone who had an eating disorder, or they've treated one patient with an eating disorder, and they they check that box on the you know on their insurance um, 
you know, paperwork or what have you. So it's it's worth really doing your homework and getting getting someone who's who really knows eating disorders because they're very complex. And how do and, I know what kinds of questions should I be asking that person to find out if you know this is really something they do versus they checked a box? So there are all kinds of certifications, and you know some professionals have that sort of alphabet soup after <laughs> their name, yes. right? Um, so you can ask them what's what special certifications they hold in okay. eating disorder treatment. Um, that's really important. And you know there are wonderful therapists out there that might also just be a good fit for your kid. And you might also then, you know, if you find someone that you like and they're not an eating disorder specialist, well, maybe they can help you find that person. Um, and maybe they can still talk to your son about, you know, all the other issues he might be, might be having as well. Um, so sometimes you need almost a team, right? Mm -hmm. And so when you get a, a diagnosis of a, you know, a clinical eating disorder, you do need a team, you know, you need medical dietary, um, psychological support, you need family support, um, it's an all hands on deck situation. Um, as you mentioned at the beginning, you know, eating disorders have a very high fatality rate. After opioid addiction, they are the most fatal mental illness. And boys, as you said, actually have higher rates uh, of dying from an eating disorder than, than their female counterparts. So we have to take this really seriously. And I'm not trying to, you know, terrify parents. There's so much fear mongering for parents. Yes. Um, but I want parents to really know this is something that, you know, people are afraid of overreacting to eating issues and there's just so much more risk to underreacting. Yes. So listen to your gut and get the professional support your son needs. This is similar to the conversations that we've had on the podcast before. Um, if you are concerned about suicidal ideation and you know, your spidey sense is tingling and you don't, do I do something? Do I not do something? This is an instance where the risk of not doing something is far greater than the risk of doing something. So reach out, at least get the, the you know, the professional input, that third party outside view, some people that who can help you and who can support you because help is out there and you don't have to figure this out alone. It's too much to do. None of us parents are experts in this. This is not what we signed up for. Exactly. Do you know some um, resources that we might be able to include in the show notes? So where people can go to learn more about eating disorders or how to find a, a professional who can help. Do you have things that you can share with us? Yeah, there are many professional organizations that um, are, are very helpful. Uh, NEDA, N-E-D-A, MEDA, mm -hmm. um, M-E-D-A, um, ANAD, A-N-A-D. Those are usually good places to start and they all have kind of um, questionnaires that will kind of walk you through like how, how serious might this be and they can help point you in the right direction and they all have hotlines as well where you can call and awesome. they can help you find resources in your area. Um, and there are a lot of parent coaches like me who also help guide families to the right resources and you know so even a, a quick Google search you know will help you find um, professionals in your area, but I think going to some of those larger organizations is a good place to start to get some basic information. Parents, if you want to learn more, I also highly recommend that you follow Una on social media. I follow her on Twitter, which is how we connected. You are forever sharing really good, high quality, helpful information about eating disorders and about body image, about eating and nutrition in general. Tell people how they can find you online and connect with you. 
Yeah, so my website is unahanson.com. Um, yeah, Twitter, unahanson. On Instagram, it's funny, there's a baby with my handle. So I'm una underscore Hanson. Um, so if you go to una Hanson on, on Instagram and you see a baby, that's not me. Um, but and the then, baby might be cute to follow. The baby is very cute. And on, on Facebook, another place you can find me um, is a page called Parenting Without Diet Culture. Ooh. And so I, I, that's a good place to go. I post my own work, but I also, that's where I share a lot of articles, podcasts, if you're really trying to get your family back to kind of an intuitive eating approach, which, you know, as we come out of this pandemic, the diet messages are only getting louder. And it's really important that we keep an eye on our boys and, and on ourselves. And you know? ourselves. Right. I so, found myself, I think I mentioned this on Twitter, you know, like many people, I gained some weight over the course of the pandemic. And I found myself feeling bad about this. And it suddenly struck me one day that I'm walking the dog. I am beating myself up over gaining some weight rather than, oh yeah, surviving a worldwide pandemic. It's craziness. Right. We've been, I mean, we've been taught to think this way. So no one should feel bad about having those thoughts because of, it makes sense. We've yeah. been taught that. Um, and there's so many great resources out there to help heal our own relationship with food and body. And that makes a huge difference to our sons that we, we are relaxed, that we can put on the bathing suit when summer comes that, you know, we can enjoy dessert with the family that we're not, that we're not obsessively reading labels or measuring food. Um, again, barring a health condition, we want to model a relaxed relationship with food and, you know, food is more than just fuel, you know, it's not just the gas in the tank. Food is our pleasure, our connection, our sense of belonging in our family, our culture. Um, it's, it's goes beyond what can be captured on a food label anyway. And so, you know, going back to the basics of family meals and including our boys in the, you know, the meal preparation, the planning, the grocery shopping, the, the chopping and the sorting of the, you know, vegetables and things like that. Um, kind of getting back to basics is a good antidote to those messages out there telling us we should have these rigid rules around our food. And it's very reassuring to hear you say that because so many of those things fit into all these other things that we parents are trying to do. That is how you connect with your son. You keep the lines of communication open. You are teaching him that he is a valuable member of the family. You are teaching him life skills, dealing with body image, um, dealing with nutrition. It doesn't have to be a separate bucket. This is us parenting our children, developing relationships with them, loving them for who they are and letting them be in the world. Beautiful. Yes. Thank you so much, Una. This has been very eye-opening and it's a lot to think about, but I think that our boys are definitely going to benefit because of this conversation. Thank you. Oh, thanks for having me. We hope this has given you some new insights into boys and body image. And of course, we are all about great nutrition for your family, for your kids. So don't forget about high health and their multivitamins that are filled with organic, good minerals and vegetables and all the things we want to get into our kids' bodies. Go to highhealth.com and use the discount code on boys. Thanks for joining us. And if you like this podcast, share it with a friend.
our family has grown. Welcome to the world, Hannah baby. Introducing a new collection, Hannah Soft, made with Tencel. It's so breathable, with stretchy comfort for all of baby's first moments. And it's cool and gentle on their skin all year round. Entrusted Hannah quality for your most precious gift. Hannah Soft, made to last. Shop now at hannahanderson.com.